0: Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of The George Sanders Show. The calendar just rolled over into May, which we all know means it's blockbuster season. Uh, And so, of course, we're going to talk about the new film starring Kristen Stewart, Chloe Grace Moretz, and Godzilla star Juliette Binoche, Clouds of Sils Maria, written and directed by Olivier Assayas. I think it's the biggest movie opening this weekend, um, and so I'm sure everybody's eager to hear uh, our opinions on this film uh, we'll also be talking about uh, another film about an actress center stage uh, from director Stanley Kwan and starring Maggie Chung released in nineteen ninety one so it's it's a blockbuster show you know uh, you know if if this were a video store, it'd be going out of business. i'll tell you that much um <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's,
1: that's clever. Wordplay. That was good. You like that?
0: Yeah. I just came up with that off yeah. top of my head. How are you doing there, Sean?
1: I'm, I'm okay.
0: Yeah? yeah?
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. Yeah? All right. Glad to hear it. Uh, we'll also be uh, tying in with all that good stuff. Uh, Juliette Binoche will be our person of the show. Uh, and we'll be picking our cinema-essential, and this ties in with another star in, in that same movie, Clouds of Sills Maria, uh, the take-me-seriously role. Uh, Kristen Stewart, uh, is kind of getting accolades for her performance in this movie where people are saying, oh, wait a minute, she can act. Um, so we'll dive into our, our picks for, um, other, other actors that stepped into roles of that nature. Uh, we'll also be listening to Beck. Um, I kind of badmouthed Beck last time on the show and I wanted to, you know, kind of show them some love, you know, the, the, the Beck that I love.
1: You, you feel you owe it to Beck.
0: I owe it to Beck. Well, yeah. I think Beck, Beck expects that. Um, yeah. Beck, Beck expects me to, you know, take songs of his without permission and use them as breaks on my podcast show. So um, I'm sure Beck will be very proud.
1: Yeah, that thing's right.
0: <laughs> so anyway, uh, we got a whole heap and plate of stuff to talk about here. So let's hear a clip from the clouds of Sills Maria. Okay,
2: but you don't find her amazing? I think she's totally fascinating. It's such a stupid character, come on. Because it takes place on a spaceship? I know that if it was set on an assembly line or like a farm or something, you'd love it. That's true. i have a hard time taking bimbos in astronaut suits, mouthing out some generic pop psychology. Seriously, been there and done that. I like it. I know, I know you do. Sorry. There's no less truth than in a more supposedly serious film. She goes deep into the darker side of her characters. It's it's daring. It's really daring. In a a big movie like that, it's fucking cool. Well, she's got a great presence, but I don't see what's so daring about it. Despite her superpowers... Superpowers. Yes, her superpowers. Her superpowers. Yes, her superpowers. So what? It's a convention, but it's no dumber than any other convention. Despite her superpowers, she's emotionally defenseless. She's in love, but she's not loved in return. This impossible love for Sargon, the Alliance's worst enemy, leads her to betrayal and madness <laughs> <of> fucking shit. <laughs> Are you telling me there's nothing there? We're playing there? I don't know. I don't know about- She knows that it means her downfall, but that is the ultimate truth of her desire. Jesus. It's fucking powerful. <laughs> oh. oh my god, I hate you sometimes so much. You're making my head spin. <laughs> and sure god. you find him interesting. To... <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, good. <laughs> No, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: All right, that's a clip from The Clouds of Sils Maria. Uh, Juliette Binoche plays a well-respected and very successful actress um, who's in her 40s, and she's uh, about to take part in a revival of the play that made her famous 20 years ago. Um, but instead of playing the role that made her famous, this uh, kind of seductive, you know... Uh, hot, you know, boiled, you know, young upstart. She's playing uh, the flip side role, which is this kind of desperate older woman. Uh, and the whole movie is kind of her coming to terms with the fact that that's where her career is at. Um, and and she's wrestling with all of these ideas, many more ideas that we can, I think, dive into in a, in a little bit too. Um, and along for the ride to, to kind of bounce ideas off of is Kristen Stewart, who plays her assistant. Um, who's, you know, on the phone constantly scheduling, you know, uh, photo shoots and interviews and stuff, but then also reading the lines that Julia Benoche's character, you know, used when she was playing the younger part. So it's definitely meta-textual. The movie comments a lot on itself um, as it goes along. Uh, there's a third act introduction of... Chloe Grace Moretz's character who plays this Lindsay Lohan kind of, you know, paparazzi, uh,
1: know oh, Kristen Stewart ask.
0: Well, what, Kristen, did Kristen Stewart, see, I don't know that much about Kristen Stewart. Like we can, let's talk about it. Was she in a lot of scandals and stuff?
1: Well, she's just kind of hounded by, by paparazzi. I don't know if, if she led a scandalous life and, and the, the The scandal that that occurs is kind of uh, silly in this movie, but I, I think we can get into that later.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, it comments on you know the both the main actresses here. Obviously, uh, Julia Binoche, uh has been an actress for you know sev- several decades now, and and uh, immensely popular. And Kristen Stewart um, is trying to, as we said, we're going to talk about this a little later, break out from this kind of. Uh, you know the Twilight craze, uh, that kind of you know pigeonholed her and and you you know made her just kind of a pretty face that you know is hounded by paparazzi and no one takes her seriously, um, and all that's kind of wrapped up into this meaty kind of film here. Um, and you've seen this now twice, Sean? Is that right? You...
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I, I mentioned on on the last episode that I kind of watched watched it in a in a rush. Trying to fit in twenty fourteen films at the end of the year, um, so this this is my second time watching it. Uh, I liked it a little bit less this time, Ooh. but you know it's still kind of about the same. It's a really it's a really slippery film, both like in in its narrative and and in my reaction to it. Like I'm I'm so close to hating this movie, but I also kind of really like it.
0: Interesting. <laughs> i'm not I'm not close to well i c maybe i I'm interested to see what you what would you hate about it like i i I'm kind of the other way i I'm kind of close to really, really liking this movie, but I kind of just i kind of just like it. um I think the movie i think it puts too much of itself on display like it's a little too obvious um a lot of the time, like like we said, a lot of the the text of the play. Um, ties in with you know the circumstances between the two char- the two characters that are acting out the play, and then all the other stuff involving their real life counterparts and stuff. And it's
1: a little too yeah, it's uh, it's a little obvious. It's a little obvious. Yeah, but it also it doesn't really like follow through on what you expect is going to happen in an expected way, which which is kind of cool and which. You know, which just keeps you on your toes, yes,
0: because
1: it's you know i have I have no idea where this movie stands on on anything like is it is it a satire is it serious? I don't know if we're supposed to take the play that's at the center of this film seriously or as at least as seriously as the characters take it, but it sounds terrible to me well
0: i I think the movie has a sense of humor about it. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I, I don't think the movie's yeah taking the, the play within the movie. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's using it as some actual sacred text or anything. I think the movie definitely takes, uh, but but the
1: characters definitely take it that way. Like, yeah. like, like as, as, as we open the, the person who wrote this play and this was his, his like great success. This was the film that launched Benosha's uh, career, both on the stage and in film, because she she started in the theatrical version and the film version. Uh, he's winning a, an award for his great achievements as a playwright, and this is like a fine example of his work. And and much much of the film, most of the film, is is textual analysis of this play, of the characters in this play, the the older woman and the younger woman, and the older woman is manipulated by the ambitious younger woman and dropped when her, their relationship no longer serves her purposes. And so the older woman disappears uh, to kill herself, Binoche thinks, although that is not clear in the text. Right. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's treated as if this is like, you know, a profound statement of human relationships and I don't know that it is,
0: but I don't know. I don't know if the movie does treat it that way necessarily, because Benoche I feel like Binoche's uh, conundrum is more uh, with the abstract idea of it, because she spends a lot of the movie poking holes in in the in the play too, and she's like, "This is ridiculous." Well, she uh, she
1: hates the character that she's going to play, and and it's part of like her. Uh, method for lack of a better word is, as an actress was, was to so closely identify with this part that she played in her youth that she kind of took on the, the, the hatred and the disgust that she thought that that character had for the older woman character. Uh, it became like an ingrained part of her personality. And now having to switch that around and become the older woman character is really, really difficult for her. Right. Uh but but along the way is is Kristen Stewart who who if these two relationships are supposed to be par- parallel Kristen Stewart is the younger character but she sees the older woman much more sympathetically than than Benoche did in her youth.
0: Well, and I like and see this is where this is where I I, I do like the movie is I like I like these opposing voices that mm-hmm. that are given to this thing and. Um, and, and it goes even further. Like they, they actually talk about, um, they, they go to see this blockbuster movie here here's where the tie-in with uh the blockbusters comes in um they go to see this like superhero movie starring chloe grace moretz who's going to be playing the younger character on, in the stage revival um and they have this this conversation that juliet binoche does not take seriously at all um about the merits of this superhero movie which is totally ridiculous and you laugh along too because it's Funny to see Kristen Stewart trying to find, you know, uh, some semblance of, you know, I don't know, intellectualism in, in like a Magneto kind of character or something like that.
1: Uh, it's like um, psychology character, of the, like actual human feeling in this costume blockbuster. In right. the spaceship.
0: And then but then I also am like, yeah, that's a totally valid argument, you know, and so like.
1: Uh, right. I, and, and it's Stewart doesn't see a distinction between the spaceship movie and this play. Whereas whereas Benoche can't can't bridge the gap. One is serious art, and the other is is blockbuster entertainment. And she can't take the other thing seriously. Although to me, the spaceship movie looks much more interesting than the play.
0: I agree, yeah. and and, that's and by... I think
1: that 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 one scene that that you 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 highlight where they're talking about the movie that they just saw is by far the best scene in the film.
0: It's really good, and um, and that's where I think the key lies in the fact that. Uh, I think this, yeah, I think the, the, if you want to call it the, the, the movie's perspective on this stuff is not, I don't think it's putting this play up on a pedestal. I don't, you know, I really don't think it is. I think it's kind of, it's kind of showing that Binoche's character is, you know, a little stuck up and out of touch.
1: Yeah. And I, 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 I hope that that is the case because the 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 movie the whole movie paints this this picture of of the the artistic elite of europe as as this whole like international class of people that are 100% insufferable
0: oh yeah the, every
1: single one of them is just appalling
0: the older actor um
1: yeah who they, yeah
0: who she, you know, fell in love with when she was younger, or whatever. And oh my god, the minute that guy walks on screen, but I think once again, I think, I think it's intentional. I think you're supposed to be like, oh my god, this guy sucks.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. I mean, that's yeah. that's uh, like the first the first half half hour of the film is this is this prologue, and it's it's not labeled as such. It just kind of starts with Kristen Stewart on the phone, and then there's going to the the award. Uh, the the guy dies they have the the banquet and binoche has interactions with this old flame that she despises um and then all of a sudden there's a title card for part two and then there was never a part one uh and then well, that, and then no, part two that, is like the the next hour of the film is is binoche and stewart in the mountains rehearsing this play and then they go and and uh uh visit um chloe grace moretz and and kind of meet her and then the the end is another epilogue where we have the the moretz scandal and her relationship with an author and the director of the the play that they're working on and they have various kinds of issues so there's like a there's like the Eurotrash bookends around the two women main characters talking for the meat of the film
0: right well, it's interesting because, like you said, the title card thing is really interesting because it, it does part two and then it goes through or does it say act two or maybe it says, it part, says two. part two. OK. Um, and then, it, yeah, it goes for super long and you're expecting like a part three or something and then you just get the epilogue, yeah. which like they there's only a title card for the part for part two and the epilogue, which is. Uh, a very curious uh, decision.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's there's so many weird elisions in the film, and and Asaias ends ends a lot of scenes with with like fades to black at unexpected times, like like uh, and Stewart are gonna walk into a room and they're gonna do like a photo shoot for Chanel, and just as it's about to start, it it fades to black, mm-hmm. or they're they're having a conversation about something and, and just unexpectedly the scene ends. Um, or
0: when she's about when she at the beginning is going to give this kind of eulogy for right. the playwright and and she goes up on stage and she and you know, we've like we've seen her and,
1: writing it and and talking about it it's like there's a build up to it
0: and then it just cuts yeah yeah yeah
1: well it doesn't cut it it fades well yeah it
0: fades out and then it's yeah. uh, it's over that scene is over should i say yeah yeah um yeah there's some interesting kind of pivots that this movie that this movie takes
1: yeah it's it's uh it, it, it's really i think it's really clever how how Assayas, uh just refuses to let the movie be one thing and, and that's that's the line stewart uh has at at a certain point when talking about the play is that the play isn't any one thing it's an object It changes the way you look at it and 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 Assayas is is like consciously attempting to make a film that you can't look at the same way twice mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there is so much so much missing and so much that is possibly ironic that it's just hard to it's hard to grasp and i i don't want to make like the obvious comparison that it's like the clouds but it is <laughs> <laughs> it really is it's it's a really obvious metaphor but that is what the movie is like
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like, the you know, I appreciate the, you know, e- even though it's fairly obvious, um, but, you know, when when these things are voiced, uh, these ideas of that, you know, art changes with you, y- with your perspective as you grow older and you have different experiences and all those things, you come back to something and you see it from a different angle um, and stuff. And and this is a really good movie for for kind of voicing that argument and, and uh, stuff. Let me ask you. So we, we mentioned at the top uh, and, and it, it's tying with our essential this week, um, you know, Kristen Stewart, kind of the buzz surrounding this movie is Kristen Stewart's performance. And 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 uh, I don't know if that's a backhanded compliment um, or what. But I, I'm wondering, were you how how, how did you take uh, Stewart's performance here?
1: I think she's really good. I I, uh, I gave her a, a supporting actress uh, indie nomination well,
0: good. last year. I'm sure, just like Beck is excited about my inclusion of him on this show. I'm sure she was happy to receive that. Nomination. Hey,
1: the uh, the Kristen Stewart fans, and they are legion on Twitter, were very happy on Oscar night when I announced her her nomination. So. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I it's a fine performance. I think I think it's solid. Um, I don't know much about Kristen Stewart prior to this movie, so like my bar wasn't really like low or anything. Like I've only seen Adventureland um, with her in it, and so I don't have like the weight of Twilight movies or anything like behind involved with that. Um, I I don't I I of the three people, the three mainish characters. I actually prefer the performances by Benoche and Chloe Grace Moretz, uh more than Kristen Stewart here.
1: See, I th- I think I love I love the interplay uh between Benoche and Stewart. And and you know, we we will talk about Juliette Benoche uh uh, later for the whole course of her career. She's one of my favorite actresses, and, and she's fantastic here. And she is she's just...
0: R- I mean, yeah.
1: She, she's, she's doing all of the big actorly things. Like, she's freaking out, she's crying, she's yelling, she takes her clothes off, she does everything you expect Julia Pinochet to do in a movie. <laughs> Uh, but, and Kristen Stewart is, is, she's calm and she's rational and she's grounded. And, and in this movie that is going off in, in, in so many directions, she is the one that keeps it tethered to, to any kind of reality. She's, she's like the only normal person in the film.
0: I understand. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I just, I, I think, I mean, once again, the, the, the reverse of what I just said Um, I don't have any baggage of Kristen Stewart prior to this movie, but I think I brought the baggage into this movie of, Oh my God, I'm about to be blown away by Kristen Stewart. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, it's a, it's a solid role and she, and she absolutely handles it capably. Um, but I wasn't like, I wasn't suddenly, uh, you know, sitting on the edge of my seat for, uh. Kristen Stewart's performance, or anything. Like no,
1: it's not. It's not a very flashy performance. Yeah. But, but it's, which is which it's,
0: is probably why it's getting, you know, attention is that she's actually trying to. You
1: know, well, she's never. I, I'm pretty sure she's never been a flashy actor. I, I think that that kind of underplaying, monotone, mopiness is is her thing. Um, I think she. She, I've only ever, ever seen her in Adventureland. I think that's the only other thing you've you've seen her in too. Uh, she seems really smart in this movie. And I think that maybe people think that... that Are you is, sure
0: it's not just the glasses? It might
1: just be the glasses, <laughs> but I think that people think that that is acting.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: Uh, and, you know, we don't know what acting is.
0: Yeah, you know what's funny is... Which is a funny
1: movies. thing to say, because we're doing a podcast about acting, but whatever.
0: Well, no, it's, but this that's a very good point to bring up, is that um, I... Watching these two movies, like I really like everybody comes to movies from different perspectives. And this kind of ties in with this movie. I'm, I'm not an actorly type of person. Like, I, I don't think I'm actually a really good judge of like the nuances of her performance, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think I, I come to movies from uh, another angle than that. Um, I, I'm much more interested in in story. Um, and And technique and stuff i mean i I get when there's someone being really horrible or someone knocks it out of the park but um it's definitely not my strong suit is is uh following acting um and so i' I'm, I'm definitely not the best judge of this kind of stuff is is the caveat that i'm trying to <laughs> bring to the table here uh,
1: I, I think i think there are are many many problems with the way that that we as as film fans talk about acting uh I don't think we actually know anything about it. And I think we are very quick to say that this acting is great and this acting is terrible when we really don't know what that means. Much more than we are with like other aspects of of filmmaking.
0: Right. Well, and but I, th- I feel like, I mean, between, uh, I, I feel like you and I, we don't talk about acting too much. Um, for that very reason
1: yeah we on on this show don't do that but i we as a culture
0: oh sure yeah
1: uh like i i don't know what acting is i don't really know how to talk about it i know acting that i like when i see it right but i i I feel like a lot a lot of people will will dismiss performances they think are bad for for specious reasons and I think part of the problem is that actors love to talk about acting so much that you think that you watch like inside the actor's studio and you understand what acting is so you can then go watch a a Gary Cooper performance and say that he's terrible because (laughs) you know he's not being Al Pacino right? and and I don't think that that is a, a very productive mode of film criticism
0: I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, I, I'm not, yeah. Like I, I, it's funny when, you know, the question is asked, like, who's your favorite actor? And I, you know, there are great actors out there that I really like. And every time I see them in a movie, I enjoy it, but I never almost never go out of my, like, it's rare for me to go to a movie based on the actor alone in it. Mm. Um, You know, it's, it, it's very very rare for me. Um, there there's so many other elements of a movie that'll get me in the seat before that, but um, but anyway, that being said, I I think all the performances here are are solid, um, and and you know they range from solid to really good. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So, what do you think of the the scandal that Chloe Moretz causes at the end? Because I I was kind of caught up in the absurdity of this. She's she's in a love triangle with. A uh, a famous uh, novelist. A the idea that there is a famous novelist, um, <laughs> and and uh, that uh, that causes a, a, a paparazzi freakout when uh, when it's discovered because the famous novelist is married to a famous artist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, this goes. This ties into your whole, you know, uh, art world theater thing. You know, insufferableness. You you know, just all of these, all of these like professional, like the best in their field type of the photographer. Even in the beginning, you know, it's like, oh my god. Um,
1: Well, I like how I like how Kristen Stewart uh, defined him as as the guy who took the trashy pictures of Lindsay Lohan. Right. But but the other people like. can you can you name a famous artist?
0: Uh,
1: Jeff Koons. Is he even alive?
0: Yeah, he's alive. <laughs> he's making giant uh, paper or not paper? Uh, what uh, balloon animals, right?
1: A, a famous artist who would be young enough to be involved in a love triangle with Chloe Grace Moretz.
0: Oh well, uh, James Franco.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: well yeah no it's it's ridiculous, it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous um so- yeah i mean you know it, it's it's all kind of goofy yeah. and, <laughs> and i'm but I'm okay with that like i don't i don't take that part of the plot seriously, and i don't think you 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 necessarily need to um yeah. it's it's not it's not important you know
1: yeah all i you, mean it's 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 an absurd world but 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 as i don't think really really pushes it the absurdity of it as far as he could. Like, uh, oh, ha- have you seen Irma Vep? No, I've not. Which is, uh, it's, this is the, the previous essayist film about an actress that is, uh, drawn a lot of comparisons to, to Clause of Sils Maria. And it's about, uh, it's kind of a, a version of, uh, Truffaut's day for night. It's, uh, about an, uh, uh, the making of a film. Uh Maggie Chung is starring in a remake of uh of Louis Fouillard's serial Les Vampires and Jean-Pierre Leo plays the the director and it all kind of falls apart in the in the chaos of of international co-productions and it's like this this kind of satire of the world of of filmmaking. And Clouds is not that.
3: Right.
1: Like it, it's not a satire. It's not it's not pointed enough for that. It's not it's not focused enough. It's, I'm not sure what it is, but there are satirical elements to it.
0: Right. It's definitely got its funny moments, but it's not. Yeah. It's not.
1: What? 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 What is this movie about? What do you think this movie is about? Because I, I this, honestly don't know.
0: I think this movie's about a oh, uh, a woman coming to terms with kind of stubbornly, you know, she's stubbornly refusing to evolve. Uh, and, and she's coming to terms with uh, the fact that her. The, the, the person that she, you know, rose to. F- I don't want to use rising to fame as, as the, the singular point of her character or of her, of her life or whatever, but the, the person that she thought she was uh, is no longer true, but it's really hard for her to realize that uh, and come to terms with it. Um, and she, I think she's she's weighing. Like she's, she's wondering if, if she is changed, does that mean that who she was before is a lie? Um, I don't know. That's kind of what I gleaned
1: onto from this. Um, so it's, it's about getting old.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's like the most tangible thing that it's about.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I th- I, the, you know, I, I don't think it's, I, like I said, I don't think it's incredibly profound. And I think a lot of it, its stuff, you know, because of its, you know, the textual analysis that's going on, it, it does, you know, become a little obvious at times. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's interesting enough. I, you know, I was engaged enough and, and um, you know, like yeah. once again, once again, that cast really, you know, carries a lot of it. So.
1: I mean, I think I, I, I really do think it, it is about acting. First and foremost, and I think I think that everything that happens in this film is just kind of preparation for the Benoche character to take on this part, and that's why the film ends where it does. I think mm-hmm. you know all all of these experiences that we see are, are is stuff that is fuel for the character that she's going to play uh, uh yeah, sure, and I think more more than anything else it is it is just about getting her in the proper mindset to to perform as this other person. Uh, one of the, the the favorite my favorite taglines I've ever come up with a movie was was for this and and I haven't gotten any uh, feedback on it which makes me really sad. <laughs> but when I when I first uh, blurb this on on Letterboxd I called it a, a, a 20th century for the 21st century. Uh, and, and I I really love that. that.
0: See see Sean. <laughs> Once again, too clever by half on that. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think that's the. Pr- I think that's your problem. You know, yeah. you, you're working on a plane that the rest of us just
1: aren't on. Yeah, I know <laughs> you don't like 20th century as much as I do, but they're yeah. both movies about acting, about convincing an actress to take on a part.
0: They are, and,
1: and I,
0: I just I think I think uh, the reason you're not getting a lot of love for that is that uh, there are a lot of steps before someone can. Uh, You know, understand what the hell you're talking about. But
1: I'm so I'm so (laughs) proud of it, though. Uh, You should be.
0: (laughs) Uh, With that pat on the back, uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. We're gonna listen to uh, back here. This is off of Mutations. Uh, Conveniently, this song is called "Oh Maria."
4: And so are we, cause everybody knows the fabric of folly is falling apart at the seams. And I've been looking for a good time, but the pleasures are seldom infused. And a worried mind Cause everybody knows Death creeps in slow till you feel safe in his eyes And I've been looking for a new friend And I don't care if he's the
1: Thanks, Beck, for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hell of a job. Hell yeah, of a job. Way to go, Beck. Uh, like we, we talked about last time, we're not really talking about news very much, but we did want to mention that the, we will be covering the, uh, the Seattle International Film Festival again this year, uh, hopefully in much more detail than we managed to last year for a variety of reasons. Our, our schedule is clear, as far as I know. For the entire fifteen weeks of the festival, <laughs> uh, so
0: it's a long festival, but it's not that long.
1: <laughs> so that that will be coming soon. Uh, it won't be the next episode, but it will be maybe the episode or two after that. We will be talking about stuff that we're seeing at SIFF. Uh, I haven't I haven't had a chance to go through the schedule in in great detail yet, but there, uh, from what I have seen, there is a number of movies that I am excited for.
0: Yeah. I think the schedule this year is much stronger than it has been in, in the last couple of years. Um, The, uh, the, the thing that really stood out for me this time uh, is the, the really strong showing of uh, rep films that they're getting. uh, Yeah. They're,
1: they're doing like a, a a film Martin Scorsese's film foundation anniversary kind of thing. So they got like a package of films from that that, that, that really helps.
0: Yeah. So they're showing the red shoes on 35. They're doing, uh, such Ray's uh, Apu trilogy, uh, all in one day, uh, which would be pretty, uh, intense. <laughs> um, so there's some really good stuff there. Um, and then some Shaw brothers.
1: Yeah, they're uh, doing a, a, a Shaw brothers film from, I think 1967 paired with, uh, a 19, uh, 27 version of the same story. Uh,
0: kiss of the I'll, spider woman right
1: yeah well something, something like, that. like that cave of the spider woman cave of the spider woman, uh funny. yeah it's a it's a story from from journey to the west and anyway, it's like as does the, the silent version and then the the late 60s shaw brothers version as well which which should be pretty cool yeah um so uh,
0: yeah the, yeah. I, yeah and they're yeah they're getting a whole bunch of really cool stuff uh so, hopefully, yeah, we can sync our schedules up, get get in more than uh, the handful that we saw last year, and hopefully
1: have a good show or two out of that. Yeah, maybe actually see some of the same movies this year.
0: Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen last time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, more power to us on that. Uh, meanwhile, you've been uh, dutifully watching movies, as you tend to do. Uh, I fell off the... Trained the last couple of weeks because of uh, a number of things I was uh, you know totally uh, ensconced in baseball uh, mm. took over my life uh, yet again uh, which always seems to happen around April um, I'm not sure why um, so movies fell by the wayside uh, but you're there to pick up the slack so we're gonna do huh. a double dose here of what's Sean watching so Sean let me ask you
1: what you've been watching I watched a couple of movies about the Rolling Stones.
0: Ah uh, yes, that's tying in with the uh Seattle showings of those films.
1: Is that correct? Yeah, they're they're playing uh there's like a last-minute edition at the uh at the Uptown or The Egyptian. The Egyptian. Egyptian. Uh the uh they're doing the the Kurt Cobain documentary right now, uh Montage of Heck, which is directed by Brett Morgan and they held it over but they could only hold it over till sunday so in order to fill in the rest of the week they like added brett morgan's last movie which was a documentary about the rolling stones and hey while they're at it why not play gimme shelter too so you as i just learned have never seen gimme shelter and you are not a rolling stones fan and uh that is surprising to me uh gimme shelter is uh, a movie that i'd kind of seen before but not really so uh it was definitely a, an eye-opening experience watching it again. Uh, the other, the other movie, the Brett Morgan film, is just kind of uh, it's okay, uh, but but Give Me Shelter is is really really interesting. It's uh it's about um, the the concert at Altamont where where that guy got killed. That's and right. It's Hell's just kinda, Angels. And it's uh, it's really interestingly done. Like the movie opens with. Uh, with a concert in New York of the Rolling Stones' American tour in 1969, and so there's there's a lot of concert footage. It's it's like what you would expect from a concert film from 1969. It's the same year as Woodstock. Um, there there's footage, but. Everybody watching the movie knows what happened at the end of the tour at Altamont, which was like there was a riot and a guy got killed. So, so the the Maisels brothers and uh, and Charlotte Zarin, who who directed the film, uh, cut into that footage of them editing their movie and showing it to various members of the band and having them talk about what happened at the end of the tour. So you'll 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 see. A, a you know footage from the concert film and uh, Mick Jagger talking and saying something you know jaggerish and then you you cut to him watching footage of himself and just kind of being disgusted with himself mm-hmm. which is is this really weirdly meta twist from people who are supposedly cinema verite filmmakers and it just kind of is another step in deflating the, the myth of cinema verite and, and objective documentary cinema, which is something that somehow got became like the dominant idea of what a documentary was supposed to be like in the culture, despite never actually being a thing that existed. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. <laughs> uh, and also just the, the, the portrait of this whole generation of people in gimme shelters is it's really fascinating. the 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 baby boomers, the the hippies are just they're all just terrible, terrible people. It's a generation of assholes.
0: Oh, absolutely, can't stand them. Can't
1: stand them. And, and I'm really kind of fascinated by the Rolling Stones and the way that they interact with them. and And the the Brett Morgan documentary gets into this uh, a little bit more because it's a more comprehensive look at like the entire career of the band. And there's there's footage of, of them on stage when they're just starting out in London and they're and they're a cover band, but even then people are constantly jumping onto their stage and like hitting members of the band and grabbing them. That's just it's complete chaos wherever they go. So this idea of like a riot at all at a stones concert is totally expected. It's a thing that happens at Rolling Stones concerts.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's just there's something about this band. And you don't like them.
0: (laughs) I I I much prefer like you know. There's always the Beatles Stones like divide argument, and I've never understood that because to me like if the Beatles are better. I mean, obviously the Beatles are the best. You know. Well, it was
1: was a marketing ploy dating back to like 1964 by the manager.
0: But I'm just saying, uh, I will listen to the Beatles. I will listen. I I mean, hey, I will put so many British bands above the Rolling Stones. Beatles, I. I'll put the kinks on any day of the week. I love the kinks. Um, but yeah, the Stones, I mean, the Stones are fine. They have a couple, they have some decent songs, but I've never been like bowled over by the Rolling Stones as like artistry or anything like
1: that. I think, um, I think they're like an amazing like pop blues band. Like they have, you know, some of the catchiest riffs in, in rock and roll history. And and it's, you know, you know watching these movies, I'm, I'm thinking about like the last time there was rock and roll that had riffs. And it's been a really long time. You should listen to the Melvins.
0: Uh, Well, for me, you know, once again, for me... Uh, Devo's version of Satisfaction is like a billion times better than the Rolling Stones version. Um, well,
1: well, and and here is the thing: is is they're making they're making pop music. They're working in this in this rock and roll mode that that kind of you know disappeared in in the nineteen seventies and was kind of brought back with with punk and new wave. But that that's beside the point. They're they're making pop songs. They're structured like pop songs. They're catchy tunes, but their lyrics are so fucked up. <laughs> They're dark. They're bleak. They're misogynist. They're cruel, and they're wildly popular. And that that tension is is really really fascinating to me. Like you you could not get away with having song lyrics like that today. I don't think.
0: Yeah. In, 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 in rock
1: music. Could you? Have you listened?
0: Have you listened to some like, R. Kelly? That dude's, uh, that dude is huge, and yeah. he's and he sings some of the most whacked out stuff uh, imaginable. But I, I understand your point. I understand yeah. your point. Um, so, uh, but, but, the, the but, stones but, the stones are, are uh, the subject of a lot of actual you know of documentaries. There's also the Godard. Do you, is, there, uh, is there one that you think is stands head and shoulders above? Uh, the others in terms of Rolling Stones films.
1: Well, these these are the only two that I've seen. So. Oh, you haven't
0: seen like "Cocksucker Blues" or anything?
1: No, no. Shine, shine a light. Not, not uh, no, no. Nope. The uh, the Morgan film cuts from a lot of other documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the conceit of the film is he he and uh, and his uh, uh, co producer co director um, got the surviving Stones together in a room, but they didn't have any cameras. They weren't allowed to have any cameras, so they have like audio interviews. And so the the various members of the band are, are are like telling their story, uh, over archival footage, and it's it's uh it's stuff that hasn't been seen before, and it's also stuff cut from other documentaries that have been seen. Like there there are scenes like wholesale from from Gimme Shelter, and uh-huh. uh, it's called Crossfire Hurricane. It's the the twenty four the twenty twelve film, and uh, it kind of uh I like I really like like the early part of the film, the, the early part of the story, the 1960s stuff. But like with, uh, with documentaries about Bob Dylan, uh, once the 70s happened, the, the filmmakers seemed to lose interest. When That, to me, is when the story gets really interesting. Like To me, the story of the Rolling Stones, if you're telling the story of the entire, their entire career, is the story of how you know, the, the quote-unquote most dangerous band in the world became the most corporate band in the world. Mm-hmm. And that does not get explored at all. Because well, yeah, they they've uh, they they, 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 they don't spent ten, that out there. yeah well they spent ten years being this amazing rock and roll band and then they've spent forty years being the world's oldest Rolling Stones cover band right and but that is not explored
0: right I think we're gonna have to wait until they uh, kick the bucket before you're gonna see that
1: yeah and that's 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 a shame yeah anyway that's what I've been watching. And well, I, I, I was supposed to write about that for Seattle screen scene, but I haven't yet because I'm still trying to make uh, coherent thoughts of it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad the George Sanders show can be your testing ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're like, we're like improv, you know, you go out, seven nights a week. Well, one, one, one show might be solid. The rest of it, you know, going to be kind of, you know, work in progress. It it
1: balances out because I wrote about clouds of Sils Maria before coming on the George Sanders show. So, you know,
0: yeah. And your thoughts on that were plenty coherent. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's great. Well, let's transition now uh, to, you know, someone that we can both agree on a different, you know, we can't agree on the stones, but we can agree on, I hope we can agree on Juliette Binoche. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I love I love Juliette Binoche. Yeah, I, I mean, who doesn't, right? I, I, mean, I have always loved
1: Juliette Binoche.
0: She's 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 wonderful. Um, you know, if you had to pick one film of hers uh, to take with you um, into your bunker as the you know the bombs are falling,
1: uh, which one would it be? Chocolat, as as in her best film or her best performance. Let's go best film. Uh, I'd probably go with uh uh Lesumont Pont Neuf, the Leo Carax film from nineteen ninety one, wanna say? With uh with her and, and Denis Levant as as homeless people on the uh li- living on a bridge in Paris.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and Binoche is is going blind, and uh, Levant is falls in love with her and eats fire.
0: Haven't seen it, but it sounds it uh, sounds exactly what I would expect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's really it's a it's a very terrific movie. I I love it a lot. the um, The only other choice would be uh, uh, Three Colors Blue, which was which is my choice. Yeah, that that was the the first Juliette Binoche movie I saw. That was the. Uh,
0: yeah, I feel like that that movie I could just uh, live in. Like I could rewatch. There's that movies. There's so. There's so much to just like you know, absorb in that movie, and it's just it's such a wonderful experience. Yeah. yeah, it
1: it it wasn't the first art movie I ever saw, but it was it was one of the first times I I, I saw a movie that that baffled me.
0: In the first time
1: I watched yeah. it. But then I, I decided to keep watching it until I figured out what was going on. Yeah. Um, and that was that was when I was a, a freshman in college. I saw it on video. And it was the uh the first French actress I fell in love with was Juliette Benoche.
0: <laughs> I think a generation uh will agree with you on that. And you've always said uh uh, and this has been true. Is is um, Juliette Binoche is 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 such a crossover um, phenomenon, you know, in in the states um, that oftentimes the only time we'll get to see a movie by a certain director is if you know, like a foreign director uh-huh. um, on a screen in in the United States is if uh, Juliette Binoche is uh,
1: starring in it.
0: And and it's true, you know, there are a lot of movies like Flight of the Red Balloon uh-huh. uh, and stuff where.
1: Certified copy. Uh,
0: certified copy, where um, you you'll, the only chance it's got. You know, she's bankable. You know.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there, there, there are like a there are a handful of French actresses who can sell a movie in the United States, and and is, is kind of foremost among them. Uh, I, I think is, Isabelle Hupe is kind of in the same class. I... Uh, she she got she got a, a Hong Seng Su film distributed in the U.S.
0: That's so. true. I. I mean, I love her. I, I, yeah. Paris, I mean, she's amazing. I just, I think she's just fantastic. Have you seen Eight Women? I have. Oh, God. She's so good in that movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, but Binoche to me is a class of her own. I mean, she, she's done it so many more times, I guess. Oh,
1: well, sure. And well, she's also had more success in Hollywood than than Uber has. Like, Hubert was oh, in, sure. in Heaven's Gate. Right. But <laughs> that's not really a mark in your favor where Juliet Binoche is an Oscar winner for The English Patient. Right. Which I still think is a great movie.
0: Uh, I've never seen The English
1: Patient. And movie. nobody thinks that anymore. You should, you should see it. Uh, e- everybody uh, thought it was great. I, I swear to God, everybody thought it was great in 1996, and now nobody thinks it is. But <laughs> I, I still do.
0: You're, you're keeping that flame alive. I, I am. That's good. That's good. Well, you there, you know. But to be fair, there have been some uh, films of hers you have not been a fan of, like uh, re- the recent film uh, Camille Claudel, nineteen fifteen. Right.
1: Oh yeah, but I liked I liked her. Right. And I just I hated that movie.
0: <laughs> I just for some when it's rare for you to like hate a movie, and so that one really stuck in my brain when uh, that well, came around.
1: Yeah, it was. That was also like a a festival thing, and it was like the only the only film at the festival that I didn't like and so it really stood out right as as unpleasant
0: <laughs> well she's great uh I, I, we agree on it and uh you know I hope she keeps working for several more decades cuz she's you know like she is in uh, Sils Maria she's you know I I can't picture there are a few actresses I can picture um in that type of role and, and doing it, uh, as just the justice that she does. Um, and she's just always solid. Like you said, even in a movie that she, that that's not necessarily great. She's
1: always good in it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, there was another one. Oh, cache. She was in cache. I hated that movie too.
0: Well, you hate Michael Haneke. Yeah,
1: so. <laughs> but that's the only one I've seen, but that's enough for me to, to hate him. Yeah. Uh, She's great. She's Juliet Binoche.
0: Well, let's talk about the next generation's Juliet Binoche here. Uh, <laughs> because we picked, you know, the, the idea of Kristen Stewart having a breakthrough performance. And uh, we're going to talk about our essential um, take me seriously roles now, um, where an actor or a comedian or somebody who who people kind of dismissed, at least in terms of acting chops, uh, took a left turn somewhere and kind of kind of wowed you and kind of, uh, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath you. Some,
1: um, someone who who is surprisingly good.
0: Surprisingly good. Yes.
1: And then maybe yeah. in retrospect, it's not so surprising. But at the time it was
0: right. They they, they went out of their, you know, safety zone, their comfort zone and, and uh, turned
1: some heads. So who who is your pick?
0: Well, my pick is is a little obvious, but it's obvious for a reason uh, because it's 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 such an anomaly, and it but it's also so so good, and it's Adam Sandler uh, from Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love, um, which to me that it, what's what's so great about Punch Drunk Love, and the genius that is Paul Thomas Anderson is that he he knows what Adam Sandler's strengths are, you know, uh, and, and he really uses Adam Sandler in much the same way Adam Sandler's used in a lot of his other, like the character is very similar to characters he plays in his kind of, you know, his his goofier comedy type movies. Um, But he builds this entire world that is, that is so unique and, and um, so just fascinating and Adam Sandler is the perfect person to play the main character in Punch Drunk Love. You know, uh, this guy with serious anger management issues, stunted adolescent, uh, who, who somehow some way makes a connection with another human being, uh, and his life changes for the better. And, um, it's just, it's really one of the, the most, uh, Wonderfully exciting uh, surprises to to come down, you know, uh, the cinematic pipeline in in the last uh, couple decades, and uh, you know, I and I've never, I've never seen Adam Sandler in anything as good again, but I've also never discounted Adam Sandler again because of it. You know, I've given Adam Sandler more chances, like funny people, which I really did not like, um, which was trying to do something, you know, out of the box again or kind of play up, you know, play with our expectations of Adam Sandler and I thought it was a huge failure. Um I think funny people's all right. It's not good. Uh um,
1: you got that. you have like a serious appetite issue though.
0: It that movie's so bloated and boring. I, yeah. I'd rather just watch the RISA working in a deli uh for two and a half hours uh than watch. Well him. who wouldn't rather watch I, that right, exactly
1: you know, you know I, th- I, th- I think it's about. interesting that, you know, I, I agree that Sandler is, is terrific in that. And I think it's I think it's interesting that he doesn't hasn't done anything good since.
0: He really. So hasn't. it's not
1: it, it wasn't a turning point. It was an aberration.
0: It, it absolutely. Um, but like I said, the power of that role and that, that performance. What is it? What was that movie? 2002. So mm-hmm. over a decade later, when Adam Sandler does come out with something that's, you know, slightly out of his wheelhouse. I'm at least still like slightly intrigued because I'm like, wait, (laughs) you know, um, but you're right. He has not lived up to any of the, uh, expectations that that movie created. What is your pick, Sean, for a take me seriously role?
1: Uh, my pick is, uh, is Maggie Chung. And it's, uh, uh, 1988's As Tears Go By, which was also Wong Kar Wai's first film, and uh, Maggie Chung up until that point had basically been like the eye candy role. She she was the girlfriend uh, in in Police Story and in a bunch of other movies. Like her, her her best performance in a movie prior to As Tears Go By was, as far as I've seen at least. I, I mean I haven't seen all of it. I haven't seen you know It's a Drink, It's a Bomb or Sister Cupid or Car- Call Girl 88, but I'm pretty sure her best performance in a film prior to As Tears Go By was in Johnny Toe's Happy Ghost 3, in which she's she's really kind of hilarious as this ghost that just tortures uh, Raymond Wong. But anyway, in, in As Tears Go By, uh, she's acting in like a, a serious movie for the first time, and she's still playing the girlfriend, but it's not like the cute, bubbly girlfriend performance that she is in the the Jackie Chan movies. It's you know, more of like an actual character and she really builds on that in, in Days of Being Wild, which which comes out two years later. And and as Teresko Biasquot was kind of that that point that that you saw that there was more to Maggie Chung than just her prettiness and mm-hmm. and and following that she she started working with with Stanley Kwan she did Full Moon in New York and then she did uh, Song of the Exile with with Anne Hui and she did Days of Being Wild with Wong Kar-wai and then she did Center Stage and at that point she's like international art house superstar all within this very short span of time while she's still making popular movies like she's still doing Jackie Chan movies as as late as uh 1993 so she's uh yeah I love Maggie Chung. and and as Tears Go By, I think, is a really underrated Wong Kar Wai film. Uh, have you seen it?
0: I have seen it. Uh, yeah. It's very, it's very murky. It was a long time ago, but uh, she, my, 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 my problem with your pick.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, I, I don't know your perspective on, it, but um, is for me, I, I knew Maggie Chung from all of these things prior to you know, like knowing of the 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 uh, fluffier stuff. Sure. You know what I mean um did you so you actually you didn't you knew her from fluffy stuff before this
1: no i I, okay i'm i'm actually not sure the first time i saw maggie chung i might have been in the mood for love
0: which is yeah
1: maybe days of being wild no it's probably days of being wild but uh but it's not when when I began to take her seriously. Sure. It's when the world began to take her seriously.
0: Gotcha. So um, your
1: your your semantic objection is no, it's not dismissed. a semantic.
0: It, it's not a semantic objection. <laughs> it's a semantic uh, clarification. My, you know, my my criteria was uh, slightly different than yours for this pitch. Sure. Um, but no, she's. I mean, we're going to talk about her more in a minute. Here. Sure. Um. But she is just amazing. I mean, yeah. let me let me tying in with both uh, Center Stage and In the Mood for Love. Uh, I'm going to go on the record and say nobody can wear a dress like Maggie Chung.
1: That's true. Let me uh, to to kind of bolster my point. Let me read off the list of the other films that Maggie Chung appeared in in 1988, and and these are just the titles. And to be clear, I've only seen one of these other movies, so they may be much better than their title, but. Here, here they are: uh, Call Girl eighty eight, Love Soldier of Fortune, Paper Marriage, Mother versus Mother, Moon Star Sun, How to Pick Up Girls, The Nowhere Man slash Beloved Son of God, The Game They Call Sex, Last Romance, uh, Police Story two, which is a very good movie. But again, she's just the girlfriend, eye candy role, uh, and my favorite title of all: Double Fattiness. <laughs> So that's where her career was before she she started making Wong Kar Wai movies.
0: Well, yeah, Wong Kar Wai <laughs> has the magic pixie dust. Doesn't yeah. work. So um, no, she's just she's phenomenal. She's great. Yeah, uh, and she hasn't made a movie in uh, five years or so now.
1: Uh, yeah, almost ten. I think uh, uh, Clean was her last one in what 2006. enough, of Olivia's. Was her last uh, 2004? Was her last uh, starring role? Yeah, she was. uh, Wikipedia said she was in a deleted scene of *Inglorious Bastards*, which. (laughs) Damn you, Quentin Tarantino!
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah, Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, *Clean*, which uh, was directed by Olivia Sayas, who she was married to for a brief time.
0: Which is why we tied in both of these films this week,
1: and also they're they're both about actresses. But well, that's true. Yeah.
0: But uh, well, speaking of center stage, why don't we hear a clip of that right now?
1: Sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: 我最喜歡做的表情就是 movement 我覺得她有一種很特別的味道 so center stage came out in
1: in 1991 or 1992 depending on how you look at it it was it was 1992 for a long time and then IMDB changed the date so everyone is really confused now but uh, it came out then uh, which is uh, kind of like the, the peak years for Maggie Chung after As Tears Go By. She was just in the string of, of really, really great movies. And it's directed by Stanley Kwan, who, like Wong Kar-wai, is a Hong Kong director who, is, who started just a little too late to be part of the, the Hong Kong new wave, um, but uh, is very much of that, the, that same kind of artier sensibility than, than your Hong Kong genre cinema. Uh, Center Stage is a biopic about an actress from uh, the silent uh, a silent film actress from uh, uh, Shanghai in the 1930s named Ron Ling Yu, who was was very very famous uh, in her time and then killed herself at age 25 in 19 or age 24, 24 in 1935. And the film uh, cuts it cuts together a kind of a standard biopic of her life, and we see her her various relationships, her film work, uh, along with scenes from her movies, both actual archival scenes and recreations of scenes for for films that are lost. and And cut within that are uh, the various actors in the film, uh, most especially Maggie Chung, but also, uh, the other Tony Leung and Karina Lau and the director talking about the, 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 actress herself and, and how they feel about her and how, you know, kind of the, the process of how they identify with her and kind of incorporate what they have learned about her into their performance in the film. So this, uh, I I really like this movie.
0: <laughs> it's a very interesting, uh, an exhilarating kind of way of doing that kind of, you know. By you, you we've seen those. Uh, you know, we've seen every biopic. You know, kind of style you can possibly imagine. You know, um, and oftentimes when movies try and do something different with it, it's 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 more superficial. Um, uh, like we've talked about before, uh, Todd Haynes is "I'm Not There," which casts different people as Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. um, but follows a lot of the same conventions of a biopic, um, and doesn't really, in my opinion, it doesn't really transcend its 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 kind of the trappings of that. Um, but this is really exhilarating, getting uh, kind of all of those different perspectives, um, and uh, it it really gives them a, a more well-rounded and, and interesting portrait than just your standard, you know, uh, performance piece or whatever. Yeah. So some of the most, uh, like some of the most enlightening moments of the movie are the, the interviews or the, you know, when the kind of drama, uh, there's a cut to from the scene being filmed to, you know, the, the crew behind the camera and stuff like that. And um, very, very well done very smart
1: yeah like there's a there's like a one of like the the big emotional peaks of the movie is uh is is chung as as ron is is filming the end scene of a movie where her character dies she's like in a hospital bed and she's like really very anguished and and the you know the director tells her you know whatever she's doing is wrong. She's not doing enough. And then they talk about it. And then she, she does like this really intense performance and the, uh, and Ron, the actress after, after the, the scene is cut is like overcome with emotion and like covers her head with a, with a bed sheet. And then, and then Kwan cuts back to Tony Lung as the director being overcome with emotion, watching Maggie Chung being overcome with emotion. So it's like this, this kaleidoscopic effect of, of acting, uh, which, you know, it, I think this movie has a lot in common with clouds of Sils Maria, but I I think this is a much more interesting approach. It's much more, it's more visual. It's more emotional than than Sils Maria in which acting is talked about in in a very dry and very verbal way. I think
0: I agree completely. It, it, uh, yeah, it, it shares a lot of the same DNA, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the way that it goes about it here is, is much more, it's, it's, it's more nuanced. It's more, it's more, like I said, engaging and, um, engrossing. Um, and yeah, it's very, very, very well done. And, and, once again, you know, I don't know anything about acting, but Maggie Chung gives... I mean, she won uh, the Berlin Film Award uh, actress thing or something for this, which was a huge deal at the time. Uh, and she's just a dynamo uh,
1: in this movie. Yeah, and it's... Uh, one of the, the amazing things about it is, is that she has to act... You know, she acts as herself. And I don't know if those interview scenes are, are actual Maggie Chung or Maggie Chung in, in quotes... Uh, But then she also acts as, as Ron, the, the, the person and as Ron, the actress. Right. So, and those are two completely different things because she's acting in a silent film mode that is entirely different from the, the kind of, of acting that, that, that people are trained to do now, but she does it really well. Like it is not the, like the broad obnoxious pantomiming of something like the artist which doesn't understand silent film acting at all. Like I, I think Maggie Chung and 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 Stanley Kwan really understand what makes silent film acting good and what made Ron a good actress. And you 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 cut from the scenes of Maggie Chung uh, recreating her films to her actual films, and it's the same style of acting.
0: And I would like to give a shout out to the actual actress. Um, I, like her performances in 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 these clips that we see from her movies. Um, that they're so uh, electric. Like you can tell just from the the brief snippets that we get that she was a real talent, and um, like I was really engrossed with with uh, her performances. The little snippets we get, it felt very, I don't, I, you know, saying contemporary is 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 a mean thing to say because it, it mean it sounds like the acting of the past was horrible or right. something like that. But but. Her character like i i didn't for at, at moments i was like is this really archival footage because the the way she carried herself in these films from the 1930s felt really honest and just like really of the moment um yeah like she, you said it wasn't this broad kind of, and you you know yeah sure movies that try and ape silent films get it wrong but also you know silent films a lot of times did do these kind of big expressive things and the clips we see that's not the case
1: here yeah i mean she she was compared to to greta garbo which which i don't really see although i haven't i i, I don't think i've seen any of garbo's silent work so I, I i don't really know um she herself seems to model model herself much more on on marlena Dietrich, and that's like a running joke in the film is, is right. she sings the song from from uh, the blue angel, blue angel yeah. um and I, I see that a lot more like, like there, there is a lot of, of early 1930s Dietrich in, in both Chung's performance and, and Ron's performances. Like I, I, I see a different parallel there. Yeah. Uh, just in the, in, in their coolness and, and the expressiveness of, of, of their gestures and their eyes and the way that they just look up. And they, they have like amazing looks up mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, I, I haven't seen any of her films. I have one. Uh TCM plays The Goddess every once in a while. That's the one where she plays a uh a a prostitute uh scandalously because, you know, prostitutes. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: right. Uh uh TCM plays that every once in a while and I have it saved on the TiVo, but uh I did not have have time to watch it this week. I've seen some films by some of the other characters in the film. Uh, uh Tony Lung uh Ka fai and not not the Tony Lung we know and love from other Maggie Chung movies, but the other Tony Lung. Right. Um he plays uh 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 Chai Chu who uh in nineteen forty seven directed uh, The Spring River Flows East, which is is kind of the uh the Chinese gun with the wind uh which is is pretty good. I just watched that a few months ago. And uh and um and one of the other directors, uh, uh, Fei Mu, uh, directed um, Spring in a Small Town from 1948, which is, is one of the best Chinese films ever. Um, both of those coming uh, uh, after the war, like, you know, more than, than 10 years after the events in the film that, that we see. But they're also kind, also kind of the, the last gasp of the, the Shanghai cinema as we see it in the, 19, in the early 1930s. Uh, with the uh, with the end of World War Two and the, and the communist takeover of China, the uh, the the local film industry there just kind of dissolved and and spread out to to Taiwan and, and mostly to Hong Kong, but um, yeah, they're both really really good.
0: Yeah, I was definitely uh, my interest was piqued by by the stuff I was seeing in this movie, um, and I've added a bunch to my watch list subsequently. So, and I, th- I think the. Um, Like you said, uh, the goddess uh, and new, I think new woman, which is the movie that ended her career. uh, Mm -hmm. I think those are available like on YouTube and stuff too. If you know. um, Yeah.
1: I I don't, I don't think they're under copyright anymore. I know scarecrow has a, a a fairly strong selection of, of, uh, of Shanghai cinema, which, uh, uh, somebody did like restorations a few years ago and put out like these these DVDs that have like two movies on them and and uh, so you can rent them there, yeah. If you are in the Seattle area, right. <laughs> Otherwise, I, you can probably find them on the internet, and I I doubt they're under copyright, although those restorations would be. So, right. You know. Uh, Do you have anything to say about
0: Stanley Kwan?
1: you know as stanley kwan i have seen a handful of movies from him he's uh this is is the best although his 1987 film rouge is a movie that i really love as well uh that one is is also kind of a uh like a meta cinematic film it's uh it's got leslie chung and uh anita mui who play uh like a uh He's like a rich guy and she's like a, a prostitute, and they hang out and smoke a lot of opium. And then, and they're supposed to, to kill themselves together because of uh. love. And then, uh, 50 years later in 1980s Hong Kong, she comes back as a ghost and she's looking for him and, and she can't find him. Uh, that and it's uh, and she like haunts this uh, this young couple. And it's uh, it's it's pretty fun. It's very romantic and it's very sad. And it's it's a really really uh, neat movie.
0: <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm looking at his filmography here. You know he doesn't have that many titles. Uh, I mean he's got he's got a fair share. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everlasting Regret. Uh, it it's it stars Sammy Chang. So I'm kind of uh, oh. kind of intrigued because hot damn.
1: Yeah, nice. yeah. The, these three are the only ones I've seen, just just Rouge and Center Stage and, and Full Moon in New York, which uh was uh the first one he did with Maggie Chung, which uh is like three uh Chinese women who are trying to make it in New York. Which is pretty good. Yeah. But not as good as as, as Rouge and, and Center Stage. But uh yeah, I think he's uh had trouble getting funding since he came out. Yeah. Honestly, I don't really know if that is the case, but, uh, he came out in 1996 and he hasn't worked much since then. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. It uh, is. Cause this is a, yeah, this is a, a work of a true talent. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, this movie is kind of just, you know, engineered for me. Like I kind of eat this stuff up, Uh, you know, just seeing uh, movie making in the twenties and thirties and, you know, those kinds of things. I I just, it speaks to me, you know, goes straight Mm -hmm. to my heart. So, um, but, but that, that being said, I think it's also just a really well-crafted and very interesting. Like I said, at the beginning, using all of these different uh, modes of storytelling to um, shed some light on this,
1: you know, actress that I had never
0: heard of. Um, and now I'm really intrigued by
1: it. Yeah, I think, I think the the craft in this film, to, to put it that way, like the actual, like the set design and the costumes and the hair is, is remarkable. Like it's, it's so meticulous and, and so detailed and so well-coordinated. Like there's a, a scene that, that Maggie, Maggie Chung has uh, in her apartment in her bedroom. With, uh, she has the scene with her ex-husband who has come back and is is like tormenting her. And she's wearing this uh this this dress that's uh checked blue and orange and the blue and orange kinda matches the blue and orange in this uh pig, uh painting of a vase of flowers on her bedroom wall. And given the the light in the room, the, the orange in the wallpaper is the same as the orange in her dress, and it's all just very well-coordinated. And then just a couple of scenes later, she's in that same room with her current... Uh, uh, lover? Lover. And... Uh, and, and the, the dress she's wearing is, is, is kind of black and lacy and with, like, all, like, little swirly patterns. And that swirly pattern matches the black in the wallpaper. So it's the exact same wallpaper, but it matches two completely different outfits. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just all of these little details and, and just uh, just scenes of Maggie Chung looking out windows or walking upstairs or looking at the light and the, there's this marvelous, like, fake backdrop of Shanghai. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, that is of uh, it's it's part of the studio where where they all work at, but it it kind of dominates the offices as well. So it's just this this artifice. And it's yeah, yeah. I, I love this movie. <laughs> I really do. Sure. I'm really glad to have seen it again. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Uh, and I am really glad that it that it holds up because the when it, when I first watched it I didn't know I had seen very few Chinese films I didn't know any of any of these people I didn't know any of these actors I kept looking for for the Tony Lung from Chunking Express and I couldn't find him and and to see it now having you know watched a lot of Chinese movies um, I, I am glad that it that I still liked it yeah. And I'm glad that you liked it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Though, you know, whatever. <laughs> you didn't like oh, it as much as I did.
0: Well, maybe when I revisit it in 10 years, you know. Yeah. No, I really, I did, I did enjoy it. I, you know, um, I, 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 I think it'll, it'll age well. Yeah. What, what
1: um, did, yeah, what didn't you like about it? Because you only gave it four stars. Only slightly more than Sils Maria. Yeah,
0: it might have it been viewing conditions. Uh, to be quite honest with you. um, I was a little rushed there at the end of it. um, And I was lied to by IMDb. um, And so there, there are two different cuts of this movie. And I thought, I didn't realize that. I thought I was watching the only cut available, which is two hours. And we were supposed to start recording uh about two hours from then and uh, it turns out i was watching the full director's cut which is you know more than a half hour longer (laughs) um and so i was starting to kind of panic so my you know it's possible that uh it was viewer error at that point where i was getting a little uh antsy because i i felt like i was holding up the caboose there but uh uh but no i i think it's a very solid movie and and once i got on its wavelength um within you know the first i don't know half hour or so i I thought it was just sumptuous and and, uh, very exhilarating. So it's a thumbs up from me. (laughs) So anyway, we're going to take another break here. Um, And, you know, I I was talking smack about Beck uh, the other day and uh, we're going to play a song now that this, this is the the Beck that I loved and it's not a good song. It's, it's, it's a total throwaway. um, But Beck has, you know, taken himself so seriously in the last decade and not really given himself an opportunity to be really stupid. And that's why I fell out of love with him. Um, So here's a song uh, that he did live on the radio in 1993. Never got an official release. Uh, It's a song called Whimsical Actress.
4: At the theater, I did meet her, and the show was whimsical and
3: sublime. I'm in tatters, nothing matters, till I grasp her big disaster like mine. She's got the squeegee on the Ouija. She can squeeze me, she can please me anytime time. don't disease me. Don't you sneeze me? You can cheese me any time it's not crying. In the first act there was a jester. With an apple and a mango and some wine He flung the ice cube He was so rude And he jousted with the flaming hoffy dog She's got the squeegee On the Ouija She can squeeze me, she can't bleed me
0: All right. Thank you, Mr. Hanson. I hope we have mended the bridges that we have previously burned. Uh, Actually, frankly, I don't give a damn. But uh, we've got an exciting show coming up uh, next time around. Uh, The new film Pitch Perfect 2 is coming out very, very soon. yeah. And one of us is very, very excited about it. Uh, I won't tell you who, um, but we're going to tie in with that. Yeah, we're going to tie in with that, uh, I'm sure to be, you know, fantastic film. Uh, we're not going to talk about it because we don't have another argument that breaks the internet. Uh, but we're we going to we talk about...
1: We already talked about it. You can, you can listen to our podcast where we talked about Pitch Perfect and how awesome it is.
0: Right. That was... Uh, That was a fun episode. Uh, At least when we were listening to the Ramones, it was fun. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about, but we're going to do music. We're going to do music again, uh, this time about uh, women playing music in school. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, a film that I really, really enjoyed that I saw a couple years ago now, uh, Linda, Linda, Linda. Uh, And we're going to pair that with The Affairs of Dobie Gillis. So that'll be our Pitch Perfect 2 episode coming at you two weeks from now. Uh, Hope you check that out. Uh, If you are in Paris, France, uh, you should swing by. You should just live next door to the Cinematheque uh, there, which is just, as I talked about before, just a a monument to all things I love, but they have a cinema there, obviously. Uh, and they're currently doing two concurrent series throughout the month of May. Um, they're doing, I don't know if it's a complete retrospective of Buster Keaton silent stuff, but it's pretty close. It's a lot of Buster Keaton short films, uh, being packaged together uh you know a few a day and then uh, Michelangelo Antonioni movies uh, also and so i think that'd be a really fun night at the movies is go see like uh cops or the high sign and then you know the passenger uh, yeah <laughs> or something like that a, that a lot be... a lot
1: of emoting going on in a lot things.
0: of emoting going on at that th- so uh <laughs> you know i'm sure paris is is very excited about that series so go check them out
1: If you are in Vancouver, there is a documentary film festival that has just started, the DOXA documentary film festival, and playing as part of that on Saturday, May 9th at the Van City Theatre is Hit to Pass, which is a movie made by people that I know that is actually really, really good, and you should go see it. It's a documentary about a demolition derby car race in Prince George, British Columbia, and it uh, it starts out being about that, but it becomes about much more than that about about identity and about generations and about about nations. And it's there's also video games. It's a really really cool movie, and I hope more people go and see it. And I hope it comes to Seattle at some point. But cool, yeah, yeah it's uh, Sounds it's like fun. It's playing in Vancouver, so go see it.
0: <laughs> Will do. <laughs> I'm on the next train. I'm on my way up there. Right. Uh, you can find out more about us uh, at the George Sanders dot We're on Twitter at Geo Sanders show. We have an email account, the George Sanders show at gmail.com. And one of us at least writes weekly on Seattle screen scene.com. So that's it for this week. Here's George to sing us away. Sing us to sleep.
5: No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of day Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man and man must have his maid that no one can deny It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die